Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast, podcast number 27, where Kevin talks about his weird dreams. We talk about trauma therapy. It's really echoey because we recorded it in the eatery of the Village Church. By the way, my name is Eric. I'm pastor of the Village, and Andy Littleton is not here because he's feeding his goats. Enjoy the podcast. to Faith Over Breakfast. It is a beautiful Thursday morning here in the desert, and I am not Andy Littleton. Andy Littleton is taking care of his goats right now, as best as I can tell, Yeah, and getting some time to relax. That's Pastor Eric Seepin of the Village Church, and uh, uh, this is Faith Over Breakfast, uh, sans Andy Littleton for just until next week. That's right. So I was graciously offered uh, to come in and, and sit and I think you could you graciously offered yes I did I offered up my own help in yes. this matter but just to, uh, just to say that Mark a day earlier had offered oh Mark uh, Crawford because he knew I was struggling to find a host and or somebody to host with me and you offered him Mark's already been on the show and you haven't and it was the perfect Hey, sorry, Mark. I didn't mean to take your space and your place. He didn't seem over excited about it. Okay. Uh, did I seem? I seemed a little bit excited about it. Yeah, because um, you got this whole program started. Well, kind of. Yeah, no, I give you complete credit for this for talking culture. No, that yet talking culture is your yeah, show. That was the show that um, those who don't know, and most of you probably don't. Myself and Sam Burns did a radio show for five months, um, starting in November 2016. Actually, we started. Uh, the day after, the day before election day, and it was a show promised to be non-political. I think we did a. You did a really good job of being non-political. Um, and in order to fill time, we did we did it five days a week, nine to ten a.m. on KVOI AM ten thirty. Um, I had this idea of bringing on Andy and Eric and just talking about faith and culture and diversity and I mean what's going on in the in today through the lens of what it's like to run a church we never actually did what I wanted to do and well, you that, never gave us any time really let's just be honest well we got pushed around our, our, our 10 minutes was always <laughs> it was always truncated and Sam and I would always go off on what we found to be far more interesting tangents mm-hmm. arguing with each other. But why I think that it didn't work is because the, that format is so constricting. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I, what I wanted to do about a month into that show, because it was like when you are confined to four, 10 minute segments with built in commercial breaks on, uh, the frequency of the amplified modulation AM right. radio, yeah. uh, you're, conf- you're confined by a lot of things. Um, it's the Bill Simmons report or the BS report. Bill Simmons is a 
famous sports guy, and he he was one of the first big podcasters. And his his podcast called the BS Report would preface itself every time by saying the BS Report is a free flowing conversation, and that was their way of saying, hey, we might uh, talk about inappropriate things. Mm. So it's, but free flowing and conversation are two things that on a radio mm-hmm. show we didn't get. I was always worried about the commercial break and worried about does my producer think this content's conservative enough or right. am I offending anyone with this and we have to get to our next guest. So the, the, the issues that are actually interesting and the things that I would love to talk about, you, we couldn't really do. Right. So we had fun and... No, I, I got the radio bug from that. I the, mean, the buzz or the bug? The bug. But I could have gotten a buzz because we drink a lot of coffee before. <laughs> well, if you recall last week's podcast, you kept you said you got the radio buzz yes, and you got yeah. the other buzz. Anyway, yeah, I'm not poking at you. No, you're always poking at me, Kevin. Let's be honest. <laughs> That's who you are. It's part of your character. So, By the way, just as a, as a sub thing, yeah. last week we uh, our whole family went back and watched Russ's wedding. Because, oh, really? Because we were looking for... Russ and Emily Lewis yes. were married in 2000? Yeah. With, at El Camino Baptist Church. Yeah. And uh, we were looking for you, and we couldn't find you in the audience because the camera didn't pan enough. Oh. You didn't see me or David? Mm-mm. We were there. Yeah, no, you were. I know. I just we were looking. Can I talk about what she preached about? Oh, sure. Go for it. Well, it was... By the way, I listened to the whole sermon. It was the worst wedding sermon ever. Oh, it was your first, right? It went on and on, and so much so that like I'm sitting on a stool eventually. You sat down in your in your own during your own speech. <laughs> wow, it was your it was your first wedding. It was my first wedding, and probably I had been doing a lot of public speaking. I mean, that was in 1998. It wasn't 98. It was 2000. Was it? Yeah. No, yeah, I was still been doing a lot of public speaking. It was a year before we planted the village, so. Right, but man, I had some impressive hair. Let me tell you, it was yeah, it kind of came out here, yeah, like, uh, it, side it, to side. Because I had stopped, I didn't wash it for a year. I just like rinsed it down and let it mat out and dread. And so is it was, this like, kind really, of a John the Baptist kind of like theology? Whereas, like, I don't, you don't wear I, or eat locusts, but. Right. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, like at the time, like I, I felt like I need some alternative look. And I wasn't going to get tattooed, and I wasn't getting mm-hmm. pierced. Mm-hmm. And people in, in like the malls and stuff would stop me all the time, especially African-American women, saying how much they love my hair. Mm-hmm. So my hair became sort of this identity thing that I had to keep up. It, it attracted people to you. Yeah, I felt like people are like, oh, you're Stood a pastor. Like, it gave me something to say, yeah, no, I am. They're and like, this is kind of right before the cool church movement and the emergent church where like pastors could were starting to like step out and be... Right. interesting. Right. They're starting to wear some skinny jeans and right. put the little, you know, tap sleeves on the, you know, they have and piercings and oh, I'm a cool pastor. Yeah, you can church is cool. Right. That kind of thing. It's, there's still billboards. It's I think the cool church is now called the Bridge. It is called the Bridge. And there's one that I see on the way to work every day that says like, boring church, not us. Right. And like it's a picture of someone like looking kind of bored. And I mean, you know what? There's many. There's many portals into the kingdom, and um, I think that probably that brand attracts a certain type of person that, for that time and that place, maybe needs to hear the gospel presented in a way that is new and fresh and not boring. Not boring, right? I have no idea. I've only been to the the cool church once. Oh, you did go? Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. It was. Yeah, it was. It was. was. Well, 
anyway, what you preached about on 2000, in whatever that was, I think it's 2000, yeah. in the front of El Camino between the uh, FAC and the D-Pod there, I'm 10 years old and I'm sitting there, and I don't really have an understanding of sexuality or intimacy or marriage, right. and at this point in my life, I don't really have an understanding of any of those things either, but much less so then. <laughs> and you said, Russ, Emily, in this journey of marriage, you must become naked with each other, naked emotionally, naked physically. And my brother David and I are sitting there, he's 11 at the time, and we're like, man, that's just weird. Like, this guy, this Eric guy, he's basically inviting them into this marriage wherein, you know, David and I, for all intents and purposes, are sort of imagining, well, I, you guys kind of just have to get naked and then you, you look, each other, look at each other and you go, all right, well, we're naked, that's great. Thanks for thanks for that, and put your clothes back on and go have dinner, you know. <laughs> so for years and years, we associated, uh, you know. Well, anyway, mm. that was that was the. Uh, that's awesome. That's that sort of. Anyway, I just I like this format. Um, it's it's uh, it's where radio's gone, really. I mean, AM radio is such a dying breed, and. Um, uh, even like the Dan Lebertard show, which is the most popular um, creative property that ESPN has right now, is, you know, it's the podcast and it's the simulcast on ESPNU and it's the, you know, simulcast on the ESPN app that people are actually watching this thing. Um, They're watching him while oh, yeah. he's doing yeah, they the do radio really, show that you could listen to on the radio. Yeah. Interesting. They do a really well-produced, made-for-television. It's not made-for-television, but they, you know illustrate things enough to where you could watch it and be entertained but when not I was, the one where they have one camera and there's the three of them there's two of them in the room sometimes three his uh, dad does his dad show up oh no no you're thinking of highly questionable okay that's an actual tv show oh, okay. and that's that's a half hour thing okay the radio show they've been doing for years and uh i mean no like i consume it when i do i'm consuming it via podcast and um so anyway, uh, so I watched Planet of the Apes last night, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. It came out in 2011. So this is the first one. They're free, right? Yeah, exactly. So you know a little bit about the fact That's that it. this resur resurfaced mm -hmm. here. I, people think it's really good. Actually, it's really good. My brother's been, my little brother Steven's been like trying to get me to watch him for a couple months now. Okay. And it never appealed to me. Honestly, I have some some concerns about like the over personification of animals that we do. Mm -hmm. There's a show on Netflix called Bojack Horseman. You heard of it? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's with Keith Oberman actually, if you remember Keith. Oh, Oberman, I remember this. Yes. Yeah, he was, uh, who was he partners with back in the day? Uh, oh, Dan Patrick. Yeah. Dan Patrick. I used to listen to, yeah, I used to listen to that. That yeah. was like my first like intro into sports radio. They were, they were really good. Mm -hmm. And then he, he's interesting, right? Because he's, this wildly liberal guy who vacillated between MSNBC, then he went back to ESPN, then he left ESPN, then he went back to ESPN. Um, but anyway, I think he also does voiceovers for BoJack Horseman, wherein he's voicing a donkey who <laughs> plays, but but he's like you know married to a woman or dates women, goes to his job with other men, but at the end of the day, it's like he's a donkey. Apparently, it's very funny. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't find it to be. I found it to be like pretty crude. Um, but something bothers me about this idea where we're, we're pushing the limit of now, like, let's normalize 
animals as humans and let's put them in sexual situations with other humans. And we watch that and go, oh, this is, it's just like any other comedy. And I'm like, no, I think something more pernicious perhaps is happening here um, where, I mean, I'm not certain exactly what, but I just... I just have to pause the show here and just say that I think some bigger words are going to come out for people and our audience may not be capable of handling Kevin's vocabulary. So, you know, pernicious, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what that word means. I think pernicious implies the idea that it's it's um, subtle and it's intentional, but it's maybe not overt. And so if if the writers and creators of this show are intending to move the dial towards a more broad acceptance of animals, maybe, um, you know, sexual acts with animals, whatever right. the darkness is, they're not going to do it in this overt way and say, Hey, like, Hey guys, we think that we should normalize, you know, bestiality. They're going to perniciously, secretly, surreptitiously even, um, again, moving it back to covert and, um, discreet to where you don't really, really know what you're absorbing and consuming. And yet your viewpoints are being changed, right. um, without your, you know, consent. And that's where I, I think that the enemy works a lot in the culture, and yes. especially through media. Um, I would agree with you. So, so tell me about this movie, though. Well, that's it. Kind of back in, in that vein, like we've got Planet of the Apes, which <clears throat> did you see the old one? You know, I actually saw the one. With, well, yeah, I've seen the old ones, but I also saw one of the remakes with um, Wahlberg. Like in the last five years? Yeah, it was in about ten years. Wahlberg did one. Okay. I don't. I don't know. It's not that good. He, Mark Wahlberg's a terrible actor. He's way overrated. I just saw All the Money in the World, which was interesting, right? Because Kevin Spacey was um, they shot the whole thing, and then all the allegations came out about him, and they said we got to scrap him from the movie, and they replaced him with the 88-year-old Christopher Plummer, who played the father von Trapp in the Sound of Music in 19. 19- 65. Okay. Wow. 53 years ago. So I'm sitting there in the uh, in the uh, audience and I'm going, this is um, this can't be the same Christopher Plummer because he would have to be almost 90 and he was incredible. As an 88 year old, they shipped him in and he they refilmed the whole thing in about two months. Wow. Yeah. It, it was an okay movie in overall. <clears throat> Excuse me. But he was good. He was very good. And Wahlberg is in it as this security guard and he's just Kind of bad, you know. I I like Wahlberg. He's a likable guy. He's cool. He's got swag. He's got a well, Boston like thing. And he's Catholic, and he he kind of holds to his Catholic. Does he? Stuff. Kind of yeah. holds to his guns on that. Well, and he's That's gotten good. more conservative as he's gotten older, and has children. I think his children now. I'm not completely sure, but uh, yeah, his whole family is Catholic, and it's pretty. Uh, That's cool. Yeah, I mean, he talks about how he regrets making some of the movies he's made for their content or for his bad act for his con- for the content early on. And he was in um, the, the, the Fighter. If you saw the Fighter with Christian Bale, it's a robust and movie. You know, they're they're on this. You know, his brother Christian Bale is a prize fighter basically. But well, I think he Mark is a prize fighter. Anyway, um, so let's get back to the the Planet eight. of the Apes. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't really have too much to say about it. I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. It does. It did do this thing where we're we're giving uh, apes language, actually, and I I was I'm interested in whether I think that's a good thing or not because right. you know I've been thinking a lot about how you know Hebrews one talks about um, 
to which of the angels did he ever say today you are my son today I become your father right. and that's the father speaking to the son well we also became children's sons and daughters of God right which the angels never experienced right and are perhaps I don't know if jealous is the right word but they look at us and they go look at you are this animal with flesh in a spirit um, you know this amalgamation this mixture of mm-hmm. the two and um, <clears throat> One thing that I think is a distinctive in our spiritual life is the use of language. Yeah. We don't, animals, to my knowledge, I haven't heard of, you know, what was it, Coco the monkey? Yes. He, he wasn't speaking full sentences. No, right? I think it has vocabulary of like, what, 300 words or something like that. So it's, it's a pretty good. He yeah. was signing, though. He was signing, yes. He, he wouldn't speak it with no, his mouth. No, no, he couldn't speak. Yeah. And Speech is a, is a big part of being human. I think determining future is a big part of Like, animals don't think about their future like uh, a silkworm just spins silk because that's mm-hmm. what he does or what she does or it does but we think about future create future design uh-huh. future because that's what god does like we're imitating our image ever yeah right like you're with the end person we and that's the beauty of a dog though is they're in the present yeah, all, the, all time. the time they're yeah. not thinking about <laughs> no, five minutes from now not at all yeah that's there's something to learn from the dog but yes that's really interesting. Well, which is not my—that's not my idea. I mean, that's uh, Irwin McManus's idea, but it's still a good one. So, so what we give to these animals in this movie is that idea to create future. Yes, the capacity. The capacity future. to create future, and then the capacity for language. And I, I think language is—you know—if if from eternity the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are coexisting peacefully, and the the Word was made flesh, meaning Christ, prior to becoming flesh, was in some way representative of language and of word. Then I think what we say and our ability to say it and understand it is deeply sacred. And it ties into, you know, the identity of the Godhead in a, in a way we probably don't understand. Yeah. So I'm not saying, oh, don't give animals the use of language, but I didn't, I was kind of. I was like, okay, that's they, towards the end of the movie, they they start talking, and now basically you could have, I guess, a traditional evolution and atheist uh, and creation conversation. This movie's probably sh- trying to show you, like, look, we're basically the same as these apes. All right, I wasn't as you know interested or bothered by that facet of it. Um, it was well done. It had uh, James Franco in it. Yeah, another fallen, you know, fallen to, to the accusations as of late. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, um, but it was a good movie. And there's two more that I have to watch, and I watched the next two tonight. Nice. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. So, anyway, well, this is Faith Over Breakfast. It is Faith Over Breakfast. And, and uh, man, Kevin, we, we may have to do this some more. You and I, I was thinking while you're talking that maybe we could do a monthly podcast aside from Faith Over Breakfast, just you and me, because you have lots of thoughts and ideas, and, but there's no way you can handle the uh, anxieties of a, a regular weekly thing, I think, because uh, I remember you in the radio show. Yeah. And when you stopped doing it, you became a different person. Yeah. Yeah. You were a lot more calm and a lot less anxious, and it seemed like that put so much pressure on you because you had to come up with something good every single day to talk for one hour and you had to come up with guests and you had to come up with all this other stuff and now he's leaving well he's gone people the anxiety became unbearable it was crushing yes it was no i mean that's 
So anyway, it's, it's, I love hanging out and talking to you. You have good things to say, good thoughts and stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure how stable I actually am. My mind just kind of has all these things going on in it, and, and here here's some of it. Here's one one hundredth of what I thought about this morning. Um, yes, that's true. Uh, but yeah, that show, because I was working 30 hours a week in addition to right. managing this entire show, which is daily content, uh, my days would start at 6.30 and, and then end, get home at 5, 5.30, but I've had a couple hours of emails and writing to do. And I was so driven and, I'm, and I realized what I was driven by and that was the fear of failure, the fear of embarrassment, the, the knowledge that I'm going to be on the air tomorrow and I don't want to screw up and not have good guests and not have good content because I'll look bad. Right. So I worked hard to make sure that that wasn't the case and that... Actually, my deepest fear in that whole thing was that they'd get to a they'd, we'd get to a day when a guest wouldn't show up, or I would forget how to speak, or I would <laughs> lose all my content. Your dad, John Seepin, did a show at KVOI yeah, back in the nineties. No, I remember even listening to him. It was it was something to do with uh, mental health. Yeah, at the time he was uh, running a, a mental health program. He had his own program, and so then he the radio show was part of that program. Yeah. I miss your dad. I did too. He's uh, you could go visit him. He's home. He's back. He's, home. he's back. Okay. But he's just, you know, feels swamped by yeah, life. I understand. You know, they're in demand all the time. But yeah. if you actually drove by after work and, and just, just stopped, stopped by, oh, they would probably they'd be like the most giddy people ever. Really? Okay. Yeah. I'll have to do Since that. Since he was right next to your work. Yeah, he's right there. I can walk by, walk over. Well, he was telling me about, and he only did the show for like a year, and it was a weekly show yeah. back in the 80s, 90s. And this one time, uh, his guest doesn't show up. And so, but you got to go to airtime. So, like, if I would have called out sick this morning, and you can just say, oh, I'm not going to do this. Right. You're on the radio, another constraint, and that is anxiety inducing is the fact that 906 is going to roll around and. We're going to roll live to you. Whatever you have to say, right. we're going <laughs> to hear. So he didn't have a guest, and he was literally scrambling on air, grabbed his briefcase, looking for articles. Uh, uh, hey, it's John Seepin here. Um, um, and so he told me that like before I even had done the show, and I was like, this is going to happen to me weekly. You know, I'm going to have constant – and nobody ever didn't show up for an interview. I know. You guys really – you had the system going. I mean, you could have made a living someday doing it. You had your you had your guest planner. You had you know you had your booker. My mom was incredibly helpful. She early on in the show just I realized, hey, can you coordinate? Start coordinating with people when and where to be and, and why they're coming. And so she would she generated so much interesting content for us. The tour to Tucson. We had Richard DiBernardis, who founded the thing on. As well as Denise Mueller, who was the fastest woman in the world. Yeah, that was our second week, and it was like this is cool. And she, you know, she went out and used her journalistic skills as she used to write for the Wildcat. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. She, well, you know my mom. Like, oh, I you, do know your mom. I just didn't know she wrote for the Wildcat. She has this ability to. I don't want to say mine information because it's not for the purpose of just mining it, but she can. She she can get the facts on pretty much anything. She's a journalist. Yeah. She was by nature, and that's in her DNA. And um, so, cool. anyway. Um, <clears throat> so there's a couple of things you want to talk to me about. Well. Like trauma and like dishwasher. Those are less interesting to me than, I, well, I want to understand your opinion on EGs. Oh, yeah. Well, we can start with EGs. You know, it's I, a. Do you know my opinion on EGs? I don't. Well, um, I'm curious. It's come up a lot in my life recently. I've been eating it a lot more, drinking a lot more of the slushies. 
it was a big part of my childhood and it's a big part of what it means to be a Tucson. I mean, we, we talk about it. People come to tell me if you tried the EGs and, and, you know, talking last night with a fellow Tucson, it was like most people that come are, are kind of disappointed. They might fake it, but oh yeah. I mean, because actually maybe it's not that special. Maybe it's just a, a slush, but it does find a unique niche between, I think, an Italian ice, which is really hard, mm-hmm. okay, you got to dig into, and then a slushy from Circle K, which is actually runny. So it kind of meets in the middle there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that pina colada is great flavor. You, you get some good flavors of the month. Yeah, some right weird now. ones like uh, licorice and stuff like that. I think, I think they have done licorice. Oh, it would be such a failure. Uh, I think now they have done licorice. So I actually used to work with the gal whose dad started it. His name was Ed Irving. Okay, so let's just pause there. Yeah. So we we have a Scott here. Mm-hmm. His uncle is the one who who does the all. He's the the guy who does all the recipes for every. Oh really, and Scott? Um, yeah, Scott. Yeah, Scott. His, um, his uncle still works for them. Uh, I think the they. Part, they're part owners of EGs, or they are related to that guy that you're talking about. Well, there's two founders, Ed Irving and you know his, more friend, his friend with a name starting with G mm-hmm. said, okay, it's Ed and it's, let's call him Gerald, okay. and we'll be E and G, so EGs. Oh. Back in the 80s is when they said, okay, we're going to do this. They recently sold it in 2011. They sold it off to a fan, another family business who kind of, I think, took some of the marketing and, and did some new things with it. Um, yeah, no, they... Well, let's just be honest. I like you're right. I like the actual slushies. They're good, and I don't know. Like you, so you do like EGs. I hate their food. I don't like their okay. food at all. I used to be on that of, of that opinion. Well, partly because it's just it's very you expensive. can go get a better a better sandwich somewhere else. You could. There's when there's Beyond Bread yeah. for like the same price. Yes. And you're talking about another Tucson. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of sandwich places that popped up that are better. Yeah, like. Uh, uh, melts, yeah, melt is melts okay. It's better. Jersey Mike's is Jersey probably Mike's better. Okay, yeah. I mean, so there are places like that. Uh, even to be honest, I'd rather go to Jimmy John's for a sandwich. Yeah, my brother works at Jimmy John's. Does he? I thought my brother was dead last weekend. Why? Well, I freaked out a little bit, but I live with my little brother Stephen, and I look after him. And and I'm mm. I'm not his parent, but I. How old is your little brother Stephen? He's 23. So you look after him. He's 23. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, continue. I called him at 8:30, and he's at work. And I said, "Hey, uh, we're all hanging out at home. Uh, do you want to come over?" And he says, "Actually, I'm working a little late tonight. Shop closes at 10, but I should be home by like 11." 11.30. I said, okay, yeah, sounds good to you then. So 11.30 rolls around, 12 rolls around, and I'm like, it's not like Steven. He, he, he's not like me where he could you know, meet someone at work and say, hey, well, let's go, let's go get a beer or whatever, right. let's go hang out. He's not going to do that. He's just going to come straight home. And so 11.30, 12 rolls around, kind of like, eh, Steven. So I start calling him on his cell phone, nothing. It's not going straight to voicemail, so it's not like it's dead. It's just ringing four times. And then going to voicemail. Uh, I call a different Jimmy. Well, I call his Jimmy John's. They say it rings off the hook. Call a different Jimmy John's. And they said, yeah, he should he should be done by now. I'd be concerned if I were you, like if he doesn't get home pretty soon because the closing duties don't really take up more than, you know, the time that we're at right now. So kept waiting, kept waiting, kept calling him. 12.30 now, rolling around. Oh, my gosh. 1 o'clock. I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, I mean... Um, 
I work in hospice care, so I see death all the time. I know the reality of it. Um, not usually sudden, tragic deaths. Yes, so not in hospice, man. right. Not, yeah, you wouldn't have gotten hospice. But, <laughs> uh, I'm thinking, okay, this is it, Lord. Like, um, I guess this is what the next chapter is. And so I called, um, I called the police because I thought if they could maybe tell me like, Hey, yeah, we have, yeah, I got an accident, you know, and they couldn't give me that information, but they requested, or they suggested that I call the hospitals. I started calling the hospitals, these like miserable calls to TMC talking to their, like the main hospital. Hey, do you have this guy? Spell it again. No. Uh, let me get you to the emergency room though. Cause he could have just come in. And so I'm thinking, yeah, okay. So we get to the ER. No. Called them, Banner, St. Joe's, nothing. So I'm thinking, okay, like, probably he's not at the hospital, but he could have just gotten to the hospital and that they couldn't have checked him in. So I get in the car at like 1.15 and just start driving to his work. Wow. Driving across town. Of course, I run out of gas at the Costco parking lot. I, it's, it's done. Now I'm stranded at Costco at 1.30. <laughs> And I don't know where my brother is, and I have no gas, and it's cold. It's Saturday at like two in the morning. This is day one. Oh my gosh, Kevin, this is crazy. Okay, so you're sitting in the parking lot, yeah, freezing your butt off. Yeah. Who are I, you gonna call at, at two in the morning? I call a couple of my brothers, you know, and uh, did they answer the phone? They did. Okay. They, you know, they are not as concerned as I am, and also kind of saying, well what can you do? You know and I'm saying? I'm doing what I can do. I mean, I don't know what else now I'm walking. to do. Yeah. So I started walking. I have a gas tank in my car, started walking a circle. K. So, do you run out of gas a lot? Yeah. Probably about once every six weeks, six, eight weeks. Okay. Yeah. So do you have like the, the, something broken, like your odometer broken? The gas <laughs> right. That's what broken. the Uber. So I got an Uber. That's what he asked me. And really the answer is twofold. Um, one, I'm an idiot. <laughs> And, and two, I, I switched cars a year and a half ago in my old car. Actually, I drove Toyota Camrys and their gas light is notorious for, at least in the ones that I had, the gas light comes on, you've got 40, 60, 70 miles. Okay. Very generous on that. And if you've seen the Seinfeld where Kramer is test driving the car and he's, you know, the, it's on empty, it's below empty, the, the meter's breaking off. And he wants to just go and test it and see how far he can go. And he gets the guy all interested. Yeah, you know, that's kind of my mentality when I'm on the road. Let's see how far we can go without getting gas. Okay. Again, this is not, that's not really logical. Um, or why? Or learning from, I mean, like probably in the last year, I've run out of gas eight, nine, ten times. It's um, a good exercise. Yeah. So I've got a can. Actually, I've still got some gas in that can in my car. And I was smelling it this morning. It's like, I'm, it's residual fumes. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to learn. Anyway, my new car, obviously, the gas light comes on. I'm like, oh, I'm good. And I think I only have like 20 or 30 miles. And then okay. that horrible feeling when uh, you're, you're you're out of gas and you're on the roadway. Yeah, I'm not oh, good. I, I used to drive for Uber and Lyft. And uh, if you can believe it, I'm on a Lyft ride one time and went out of gas. I mean, the worst thing you could do with a pan. I just got this guy in the car. I'm like, hey, well, dude, I guess uh, I guess the ride's over, man. Cause I don't have any more gas. The car won't go. And he's like, we're pretty close to where you need to go. So he's like, no worries, man. I just, I just walk. I'm like, yeah, I've utterly failed you as the Uber driver right now. Just running out of gas on the way there. I don't know if you've ever ridden Uber, but mm -hmm. that would be, that'd be bad. That'd be a failure. Yeah. And did he give you like five stars? 
Oh yeah, five stars. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> well, he thought it was kind of you know innovative the way that I didn't actually take him where he was supposed to go. He appreciated the creativity, I think. <laughs> anyway, so so you're walking, and anyway, you get I'm assuming you get gas, and uh, yeah, I get an Uber to the gas station, gas up, and figure, okay, I guess I'm just gonna go home now, and hope he's home, you know, and start praying, and and immediately, kind of what goes on in my mind is I I go to God and I'm like. Okay, like I question his goodness. I'm like you're not good, aren't you? Like that's my first thought. Like, mm-hmm. how can you justify this? And I think the pain for me would have been so much less than it would be for my family. Um, that that was the thing I was dreading is like having to deal with their grief. Yeah, because yeah. I made peace with it. I, you know, we had a dog that died last October, and she was everything to me. And I knew she was going to die. She was a dog. It was obvious. She was eaten by something at a young age. But when I was with her, I appreciated every single moment. And I said, I'm never going to withhold an ounce of affection from you. And so the last time I was with her, she just wanted to cuddle. And, you know, I was sitting there eating peaches. She wanted some. She starts eating them out of my mouth, things she would do. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like, please, like, let me drink of your love for every second I possibly can. And so I did. And then she passed. And... I was okay because I had, I was able to embrace every moment that I had with her. And I think that's what we should do with each other. Yeah. And that's what I did with Steven. The last, like two nights before he had this supposed accident, we were playing games and I just, you know, he's not a very physically affectionate guy and I am. And I just like to show him. And so I was just hugging him and kissing him during this game and he's punching me away. And I just, you know, just telling him how I'm crazy about him. And, um, you know, it's kind of, hyperbole like but but it's it's true it's representative of like this strong love that i have for him so i was like all right god like this doesn't make any sense probably maybe getting ahead of myself a little bit yeah this is a uh, long story so right. we're, we're getting there so so you've managed to you're having this conversation with god about his goodness and and you've right. loved him you've loved, i realized you've that, loved well and you're headed home right I realize that it's easy to talk about God's goodness when you have, like, I haven't really had tragedy. Right. You know, right. It is easy to talk about when there's no tragedy. I'd say, no, like, think, and I, at this point in my life, I still do believe in a good God. Mm-hmm. Against, you know, things that I've seen, my faith pushes me towards a belief in a good God. But I haven't been faced with some of the adversity that people have. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's less, it's less easy for them. It's more easy for me to say, hey, like, based on my experience, Overall, God is good, and he pushes people towards good things. Um, yeah. So to have something really traumatic happen would draw that into question. Yeah. You know? um, and, and so I get home, he's not there. Wow. And it's like I'm, I'm expecting him to be there. Yeah, you're thinking he's there, like, by now. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this. I mean, I, I start really just preparing for this reality that, you know, that it, that would be horrible. And so... The last thing I think of is, you know, friending his friends on Facebook and, you know, writing them and saying, hey, do you know where Steven is? So I friend a couple of his friends. They friend me back. I write the messages. So wait, 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 wait. You friend a couple of his friends on a Saturday night at 2 in the morning and they friend you back. So yep. we know 23-year-olds on a Saturday night are not yeah. going to bed at yeah, 2. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So fortunately, they were with him. He gives me a call. He tells me how I have... I need counseling immediately. I'm a crazy person for worrying. You know, you, you're just you're out of your mind, basically. And I was just happy that he was okay. 
he had basically, when we talked at 8.30, normally if he was going somewhere, he'd say, oh yeah, I can't come home, I'm going to Daniel's, I'm going to Joe's house. He didn't know that he was going to go. It was up in the air, slash he didn't think he would go. In that time between 8.30 and when he left work, turns out he was going to go, he didn't tell me, and then he leaves his phone in the car. So it's kind of a perfect uh, storm right. for that whole thing to happen. I'm sure somewhere deep in his soul he felt loved and cared about I think so. Yeah, you have to, with Steven, you have to like punch him in the face with love repeatedly and then eventually he says, oh yeah, and now I feel it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's quite a story, Kevin. That's yeah, crazy. That, that was a, that was a rabbit trail from now, off of EG's, which by the way, EG's, like, I really do like EG's, but I will not eat there. My family loves EG's. They get the food there? They like they the, get the grinders. They like the French fries. Good they fries. Like the, oh, come on. They like the, the, best, the ranch. The fries with ranch? Yeah, they love those. They like the grinders. I don't like my Tylenol yeah, and my Tylenol. jacket there. Yeah. Extra strength. Yeah. Eric Seepin, pastor of the Village Church, has... 46 cents. A, oh, that's right. A, Since you're wearing my jacket and, and a Tylenol. Some acetaminophen. And, and then a deposit church slip. deposit slip, which I don't say. I just throw away. Well, that's a nice deposit. Yeah. Maybe that's you know more information. I won't share that with our listening audience. Well, good. I'm glad you like EGs. Um, I, I just the EGs. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> hey, so you put me onto this... Uh, Oh, go ahead. Do you have something to No, no. I, I, yeah, I know what I put you on to. I put you on to Consport Day. Yeah, but wait. What time is it? How long have we been talking uh, about? We've been talking about 40 minutes. But the show goes about an hour, so we got 20 minutes. Oh, wow. Well, listen, so... You're having way too much fun, Kevin. I can see you just like... You haven't had time to just just talk. Yeah. And, you know, tell the world about yourself. But okay. let's just talk about Consport Day really fast and say that it's this great... Uh, well, you see, thing. you can't talk about Consort Day really fast. Like, that's another 40-minute show in and of itself. Oh, we'll right? talk about it later. I would love to. Okay. It, it is. You put me onto it. I have some mixed reviews. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a medicinal supplement. Yeah. How many of you do, do you take when you try to sleep? Well, I took four. Okay. And I took three, three, five, four, three. I took three last night. Uh-huh. And it didn't really, eat, like... Put me to sleep faster, but it kept me asleep, I yes. think. It helped me sleep better. It, that's more what it does. Yeah. It kind of levels out your sleep a little bit. Yeah, because, yeah. Um, have you ever had sleep paralysis? Mm, what is that? So that's when it's a really crazy phenomenon where either right before you go to sleep or as you're waking up from sleep or in the middle of sleep, you have a sensation that you can't move. No, never have. You can't talk. Never And it lasts, you know, for several minutes. Oh, wow. And for me, um, for some people, it's it's uh, accompanied by like doom and really dark things. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's always a lucid state of like, am I looking in my room or am I dreaming about my room? But in any case, you're prostrate on your bed and you cannot move, and um, it it goes on for minutes and you're not you, like try as you may, you're you're stuck. Um, it kind of goes in with the shadow people. You heard of the shadow people phenomenon? Mm-mm. It's where people think that they're seeing spirits or demons or, uh, you know, they're either hallucinating something, but they think that they're really seeing figures oh, in, in their, their room. rooms. Yes, right, yes, yes. right. You've heard, okay, I've heard of this. I didn't know they were called the shadow people. That's kind of what they've, you know, okay. coined it. Um, 
which it could be a demonic thing or it could be some psychological phenomenon. Right. Well, I mean, I certainly, you know, have this interesting experience with my sleep in that any time that I shake somebody's hand who's new to our community or whatever like that, if there is something spiritual going on with them, then it will come out in my dream. And it will, I'll have a very dark dream where I end up interacting with demonic things. Wow. Um, and I have actually had people who I don't know who have certainly have spiritual things on them come up to me at random and, and want to shake my hand, want to touch me. Um, and that night, it's... I, so, what, so what's going on there? Uh, well, I mean, I think that, that in, for me in particular, this is just, you know, what I believe, I don't know if it's true, is that for me, in my sleep, the veil is, is thinner between mm-hmm. the, in the spiritual world. And as a pastor, it helps me know a little bit of who's stepping into my community and what's happening. Sort of a protective measure. Yes, it gives me a sense of where I need to move to help that person or protect my community from them or whatever else. Do you have dreams a lot? Um, I do dream, but not ones that I remember a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'll remember when I wake up, but I quickly forget them unless I tell Sue or something like that. But I do remember the more spiritual ones because I wake up. You know, or my wife wakes me up because I'm. And these are spiritually unpleasant dreams. Oh, they're very unpleasant. I mean, they're usually, um, and and sometimes they're, uh, you know, depending on where that person is, they can be of sexual nature because, uh, I mean, stuff that I've talked about on the podcast and in sermons, like uh, the enemy pushes in on those things. So uh, it's uh, you know, sexual things that are just like way out of character for my normal life will, will pop in um, and they'll feel very dark and, and they'll be connected to dark things. Um, so yeah, no, it's a, I haven't had one in a while. Like it's been a while. I've shaken a lot of hands. So, you know. Well, either you're becoming less sensitive or there's people in the community that you're bringing in that are safer. Yeah, I've wondered, I wonder if I've become less sensitive. I don't know. Um, one of the things I did last year and the year before is I used to go drive up the mountain to, was it, Baba Doag? Yeah, Baba Doag. So um, I'm not a very spiritually sensitive person, but Rod, the other pastor yeah. at the villages, and he says that on that spot there, and, and I've done some research there, sits a very huge, evil demonic force that sort of this is his region yeah. he looks out over it and um, that's why a lot of sacrifices happen in that spot sacrifices of animals yeah and things like that um and then so all the other spiritual things in this in in tucson are under that um, mm, being's rule and so i used to go up there once a week and i would set up a little playmobile people yeah. as symbols of praying over the city and then I would pray for the churches and I would pray for, for the village and for Tucson and then I would tell that force to, to leave and, and that, that the light of God was going to take over Tucson and uh, in those two years I had more spiritual experiences I haven't been up there in probably six months to do that so who knows if my playmobile symbols are still standing up there <laughs> You know, I went to Baba Doag once to try to seek God's counsel on a decision and heard nothing. And, and, you know, maybe it had something to do with the spot. But, like, there was this job that I wanted to take and I knew I shouldn't probably take it. But I was like, well, just give me confirmation. And so I went up with this confirmation bias 
and went to Babadoa and walked around and was like, I think I'm going to take this job, but it didn't reach any more clarity. Like there was no point in me going up there other than to like say in my own, my own, my own mind that I had done that, hmm. you know? And the other times I've been there was in high school with, you know, I wasn't a drug user in high school, not a partier. And so we'd go there with friends just to hang out. And there was always, uh, there's always people, you know, darkness around me. Yes. Um, it's a very dark place. And you have, you seem from the two years that I've known you to be very sensitive to darkness and at times. Yeah. That's part of who you are. I've had a lot of, uh, weird dreams in the last week myself. Um, one of them is maybe of, it's a little bit morbid, but I think it's appropriate for okay. the audience. We yeah. can edit it out. We can always cut her. I think it, I think it is. I'm dreaming. Um, I'm going uh, east. I'm sorry. I'm going west on 22nd Street in the dream. I think my little brother's in the back seat, and I take a right on Country Club to head north. And on Country Club, on the right side, so on the east side of Country Club, just north of 22nd, is this massive, like five-story red brick house, which houses all the firefighters in our community. So, like hundreds of men live in this one spot. And they're all, you know, as you've seen firefighters, handsome, well-built, um, in uniform. So I, in, in the dream, they were wearing either short or long sleeve Navy sh uh, shirts with Navy blue pants. They're, they're typical Tucson uniform. Right. Pretty typical TFT. And as I turn up, I realize actually there's been a major terrorist attack against this firehouse. And it's going on right now. And strewn across the street are dozens of dead firemen. Oh my goodness. And it's grotesque and it's really, I mean, to behold all the damage. And some of these, you know, men are, have been, you know, decapitated and there's body parts and it's, it's just a war scene. Someone bombed uh, the heck out of this firehouse. And now pretty much every fireman in Tucson is dead. And so I'm, trying to like do this u-turn and i'm like driving over these bodies as i try to get out this is of really hard yeah so anyway, <laughs> you're trying to turn around and get out of it yeah and it's it's so viscerally disturbing what's going on and uh a lot of other weird you know coincidences in the dream like my old high school drama coach is trying to cast a play that same day in that same space and but one thing that occurred to me in the dream that maybe is a takeaway is um, I realized, I said, okay, these terrorists, whoever's doing this is actually really smart because they are killing the first responders right. and thus incapacitating uh, our ability as a community to respond to any other um, calamities. Right. And I said, that's, that's wicked. It's devious and it's brilliant and it's disturbing. And so I woke up and I'm thinking, okay, what, what is going on here with, you know, killing the first responders. And I think in the kingdom of heaven, you, you're a first responder, right? I'd like to think of myself as someone who's supposed to be a first responder to the spiritually sick, mm -hmm. the needy. And wouldn't the enemy's tactics be that of, Hey, if I can, if I can kill these first responders, if I can get to them, who's going to respond to the people. Right. And so he doesn't have to attack the, the masses. He just needs to get to the, first responders that's a, that's interesting yeah so well that's an interesting takeaway i have to spend some time thinking about think about that that's the only positive that i can think about coming from that dream yeah that seems like a, a, a dark dream it was yeah
So <laughs> next week, Andy's going to be with us. Oh, Andy's coming back. Yeah. Too. Welcome back, Andy. He'll, he'll be here. Um, yeah, we should do this. Uh, you know, what do you want to call it if we do it every month? Well, that would be interesting. Spin off to, uh, to this. Well, so tell me, this is your off day. Yeah, Thanks for coming in on your off day. Yeah. Um, this has been fun. Um, it, is this kind of, is this work? Because I know Andy said that for him this was work. It's yeah, he work. said it was work. Yeah. Yeah, and he and I are going to have to work out our issues with that. Well, I mean, but I want to know, like, for your own rest, you've been doing all these things to rearrange your schedule to be more centered and have more. Yeah, you know, yeah. No, this is, I enjoy it a lot, but I enjoy most of the things in my job. Right. Um, so it's, it is work, yes. Is this higher or lower anxiety than you and when you and I meet and you, we, you know, you counsel me? It's the same. It's the same. Yeah. Wow. yeah. This is high anxiety for you. Oh, no, you're not high anxiety at all. I don't, I don't find you to be high. No, good. No, I actually enjoy being around you, Kevin. You're, uh, I feel like um, you have a lot of uh, insight and you're thinking a lot about what God is doing in your life. Um, Sometimes I think, why is he making those choices? But right. uh, I, yeah, let's go there. <laughs> but you know, I know. I actually really, before you, I wouldn't mind having you ask me a few questions really quick because we still have about six minutes on the trauma thing. Cause I'd like to talk about okay, this let's for do a that. little bit. Let's I'm curious of what you want to know. And yeah. So, well, thanks for having me on. Thanks for letting me blab for 54 minutes, 52 minutes so far. Yeah, no, it's, it's been great. Been kind. Um, it's a little shorter because we had that whole conversation in the beginning, so we still got some time. Oh, that's true. Yeah, we were just chatting about right, recording. Right, and that's not going to go on the podcast. No, that's not going to go on the podcast. Um, and our prayer, too. Is Probably not going to go on the podcast. Yeah. Um, well, so I did this group called Mending the Soul that... Uh, Oh, help me out. Steve Tracy wrote it. Steve He's my youth Celestia group. Tracy, yeah. Youth group Go way back with them. Um, wrote this 12, 13-week course that's kind of intended to be a group therapy looking at trauma that um, people have experienced, physical, sexual, emotional, um, psychological, family trauma, and just looking at the consequences of that 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later. And... And one of the themes in that that was really new to me was this idea that our bodies, so you look at different addictions. Um, one of mine in the past has been smoking cigarettes, which is just this awful thing that I know is, you know, suicidal. Right. And the leader, the counselor of that group said, well, we, we soothe our traumas with our bodies. We use our bodies, the same mechanisms, like if, if you were physically abused or sexually abused. Well, this body that I have is uh, was meant for someone else's gratuity. I'm just going to use it for my own. Um, but throughout the course of the 13-week study, there was this integration more than I had seen of the body in as an equal member of the mind, body, spirit. Uh, my friend Derek and I were talking last night, and he was mentioning a liturgist podcast, which he said spent the entire thing talking about how we store trauma in our bodies. Yes. There's a famous book called The Body Keeps the Score. The Body Keeps the Score. Okay, so so we as westernized Christians, I think, think that trauma is localized in our mind and in our spirit and don't appreciate the, the fact that our bodies store these traumas. And you talked six, eight, ten weeks ago a little bit about how you think the Buddhists like are on to some stuff and... Um, I don't know if you were talking specifically about this area. 
Um, sure. But I know one of the things at the village that I hear, like, um, Catherine did a good job of in one of the, uh, what do we do when we ask people things? Hot seat. Hot seat. Well, what's that, what's that model? The hot seat model, it's the... Uh, Table of decision? Yeah. She was asking someone, we were teaching the model to some new people, and she said, what are you experiencing in your body right now? And what were you experiencing that? And that's a question that comes up in the yes. village. And I still don't quite understand it, but it's there, and it's interesting. And so, like, tell me about this journey for you <laughs> a little bit. Well, well first, I, I'll argue a little bit of, against the fact that it's Christian. Um a Christian issue. In fact, historically, Christians do believe that your body actually keeps the score and have been more holistic. It's actually Western medicine, Western medicine sure. that has refused to accept that trauma hmm. is a big part of things. But what we found is, or we, as I, I say, as an expert <laughs> on all this, is that, for instance, like if you've had childhood trauma, like sexual abuse, you are 50% more likely to have cancer hmm. and develop some kind of chronic disease, like. Yeah. Uh, chronic asthma, fibromyalgia, um, fibromyalgia, any of those kinds of uh, disorders, it, because your body doesn't know what to do with this. Yeah. And what they are learning is that your childhood really determines your adult health, mm. um, in particular where in places where you felt powerless within your family context or yeah, as a child in some context. Um, so what a lot of so there's a guy named Gaber Mate. I think I'm, I'm not going to say his name right, but it's G-A-B-O-R-M-A-T-E, but the E has an accent over it, so I don't know. He's a Canadian doctor. Gabriel Mate. Mate, yeah. He's very famous, um, and you should read his books. And he's coming out with a book that I'm really looking forward to called uh, Toxic Culture, mm-hmm. which is, ta- is going to, is he's medically, he's a medical doctor and a trauma doctor. Like, he does, he does a lot of addiction stuff. Um, but he uh, is looking at how our culture, Western culture, is abusive and how it's creating the trauma in our, like our bodies. It's traumatic to be. So what's trauma? So when we're talking about trauma, um, we're talking about a lot of times from, from a, the least kind of trauma is your value. So American culture says that you are functional. So medicine looks at you as like we got to get you functional, right? right? Or mm-hmm. um, monetarily so useful. Like you have their value statements, but you can't. You're not valuable in American culture. Um, did I just kill that. Pause. Oh, we're still going. Oh. Um, yeah, you're not valuable for just who you are in culture. You you have to have some kind of function. So anyway. That's the that's like the least kind of trauma. So we're talking about physical abuse, sexual abuse, right. uh, to emotional abuse. Like growing up in a family, everyone's always angry. It produces really high anxiety. So trauma is any event that impinges on our well-being and yes. our space, and yes. and has a lasting impact. Yeah, and it tends to be either if it's if it tends to be violent, or it tends to be uh, if not like you know some sexual abuse. Especially because it starts young, it's not violent, but it's um, uh, insidious and manipulative, and so it's confusing, and right, and so uh, so those kinds of traumas are what have an impact on our body. So anyway, what this doctor talks a lot about is that when we sit down with people, medical doctors don't begin to interview people. Like say you come down with cancer, they don't interview you about your childhood because part of your healing that's going to speed up your healing 
in cancer is knowing and dealing with your childhood trauma <laughs> while you're getting chemo. While you can, because some of this is, you know, it is impacting that, and so you can kind of change. Oh. We have such a resistance to that in Western medicine. Yes, I, mean, I come from a family of Western doctors who, you know, shrug off DOs who are doctors of osteopathy, which is even this slight divergence from an MD and saying like, we're going to try to look at a more holistic approach to your body and uh, try to solve underlying conditions instead of treat, you know, symptoms and make you functional. Why not make you resilient? Yes. Resiliency and functionality. Those are, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I just, it's, it's obviously a whole other podcast in and of itself, but, uh, I recently started getting some massage and my HSA will pay for it. And it's like this kind of new thing that I'm exploring a little Mm -hmm. bit. My friend runs a massage parlor, a well-known one here in town, and she has three masseuses who do massage trauma therapy. Yes. They bring people in and they are integrating in the plan of care. Like you've had past traumas and these people will weep during their massages as they trigger points that perhaps were physically abused are worked. And there's like you, the body keeps scores so interesting to me because apparently we, we just, we take a, an experience and we store it in our muscle memory and it's there in, until either it's unlocked or it's worked on. Um, but it affects our posture, it affects our chronic pain. It affects the way we go through the world. And I mean, I think when you, when you talk about anxiety, you've, kind of talk to me about, well, what is your body feeling? And you want to have an out of body experience. And that's absolutely true. Right. I want to be away from this physical flesh and I want to be dissociated, disassociated. Right. Um, so like to go to the quick to that, like, so we have the, you know, the, the fight or flight thing. Right. And that's where anxiety and fear comes from. So you, that produces for kids all the time as they're little and stuff like that. And parents help them resolve all that. But what happens is in trauma is you have the fight and flight, but when you're being abused, you can't, you don't fight and you don't run away. And so you end up storing all that in you. Um, and so now that becomes a trigger for you. Anytime that the, the fear and anxiety, like that normal natural chemical flood happens that's supposed to get you to fight or to run away uh, happens and you've never had any resolution of fighting or <laughs> running away, then that's where anxiety comes from. That's where, you know, all of these disorders we're facing and that's where addictions come from and all that kind of thing is because addiction, like alcohol, drugs, those kinds of things, calm those things down or help you distract from them. Right. Eating does that, like, you know, compulsive eating, those kinds of things. Uh, just real quick, reading this book, Grace and Addiction, started reading it last night, and uh, he says, well, amongst other things, addictions are a longing for love, and, um, you know, I'm not doing a good, a good job here. Addiction is something that we can simply take care of by applying the proper remedy. Uh, it's not something we can take care of. You know what? I'm going to close the book because there's all kinds of things <laughs> in there that, that aren't really there. Well, maybe next time. Maybe we can okay. talk about it more. I have a final question for you. Yes. Um, so you said months ago in a sermon that if you weren't a pastor, you would have been 
And I said on the last show. Well, you said a sociologist in uh, yes. that sermon, a social scientist. And I yeah. thought, man, that, that's, that's really true and interesting. And, and then last show, you said. I changed it. You changed it. If you weren't fast, you'd be a talk show host now. Yeah. Well, and when I was reflecting on my childhood, I really began to think about how much that actually resonated with me. Because usually when I think back about what I really wanted to do, I end up in college, and I really wanted to be a sociologist in college. But when I go back to just being a 13-year-old listening to Rush Limbaugh when he had 50 stations and sure. he was doing, you know, this Star Wars thing and talking about, you know, the, the mole or the whatever birthmark on Gorbachev's head was growing to the shape of the United States and he played like, you know, this death march in Star Wars or whatever it was. And he just had, he was a good, he did good radio. Yeah. Even if you don't agree with him, he was innovative, he was different. And I just, and I was like, that's what I want to do. But I think it can be both at different times, you know, like different, you wanted to be different. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, you know, my adult self would really like to be, have been a sociologist. I have to tell you this really quick thing. I got to go to work, but I was quick. And I got to end. We got to end this thing. Yeah, it's, it's, our people are going to get really bored and just. Okay. I think we have these things, at least I've experienced, that are un, we'd call unintended puns, where okay. we, you know, we do it. Language is so fluid. And so two days ago, I go to my friend Jill's office. She, I work in a business complex. She's near me. Someone brought me a hot dog back for, for lunch. It was great. We didn't have any ketchup. I searched all over the kitchen, all over through the cupboards, no ketchup. So I go over there. I know they have a kitchen. I say, hey, Jill, how are you doing? And Jill's a good friend of mine. She... Um, you know, we, we've spent time, you know, if I catch her in the walkway, we'll talk. I'll go visit her in her office. We'll chat for 15, 20 minutes. You know, she's come to the village a couple of times. I've been to her church. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Jill. Um, and, and so I think we value each other uh, as friends. And I haven't really connected with her since the holidays, really, since she came to church um, on Christmas Eve. And uh, so I go over there and I'm like, hey, Jill, it's a long time no see. Hey, uh, actually, I'm wondering if you have any ketchup. And so she's like... You know, okay, yeah, like it's kimbo for ketchup, whatever. Goes, scrounges up and gets some ketchup. It's, it's like dark, dark blood red now. Like it's been expired. But I'm desperate for some ketchup. And right, hot dogs, and you're so, that kind of guy. Yeah, like I'm like I don't really care. And so I'm kind of like guilty in how I just get the ketchup and I'm running. And so I say to her as I walk to the door and I turn around and I'm like, well, hey, um, you know, I, I'd love to catch up sometime. And she's like, what did you just say? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I would love to catch up sometime. And she's like, oh, like ketchup, haha. And I didn't intend that. I mean, it was a, it's this major pun. Like, that was really good. But not intentional at all, at least I think. But I think I had just, we had just said ketchup so many times right. that there's like this word bank that our, our minds use. And I draw, you draw on that recent memory. And then you say, oh, yeah, let's catch up. Couple months ago, I'm playing golf. I found out this guy that I'm playing golf with. His name's Ryan. He works in the screw business. He sells screws for playground equipment or okay. something. And I say to him, I'm like, "Oh, sounds riveting." <laughs> and what I was trying to say was, "Oh, it sounds like you have a really boring job. Like, ooh, that's riveting." And the whole group of guys were left. They're like, "Ah, oh, yeah, nice one. Ha, huh? very good. Actually, really quick." Because I was like, "Oh, it sounds riveting." And I didn't admit that it was an a mistake. I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, that's my quick wit right there. <laughs> but what is that? Like, why did I say, like, where did I get in my mind? Like, I don't even know that I have control over the puns in that, in well, those cases. And maybe you've reached a level where you can do it. Like, so my daughter is an amazing pun person. 
and she loves doing puns and she's so quick with them. And so we have a rating system for her. Oh, really? Yeah. So we'll the, one to ten. No, no, no. We say, well, that's like a that's a swap meet pun. Like you can any, but that's lame. Like okay. you get that swap meet. Oh man, he bought that at the mall, didn't you? That's like a mall. So we have these like your shopping centers as to where she's at. She hates it, but we give her a hard time. Wow. But those like you you've elevated yourself to the place where your puns like you don't even know you're making puns anymore. I do search for puns, but it, it was just interesting to have, you know, the other day I'm like, I don't know, I don't even know what I'm saying. Like, am I intending to say these things or just come out? Yeah. I think we just have to end with your brilliant. No. <laughs> I I am, yeah, insane. So let's just leave it at that. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks. Thanks.